As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome into Power Hour. It is a special edition as we are reacting live to the first set of CFP rankings. I'm Nicole Auerbeck, and this is Batman. I mean, this is Chris Benini. Happy Halloween, Chris. <laughs> well, now everybody knows my secret identity. I can't believe you did that. Um, good to be here on I'm Halloween sorry. night. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was very fitting that our committee chair is named Boo, and we got our very first college football playoff rankings. As a reminder, you can subscribe, rate, and review us here on the Until Saturday feed. Chris and I will be with you every Tuesday night reacting live to the CFP rankings. And I know I'm not alone in this, but the first ones are the ones that I am most interested in. I will be... Are you just like teasing me? Where are you? You just have all this Halloween candy? You're just playing around? I brought some candy with me. I brought some candy with me. For the YouTube viewers, you can look at some candy. Did you uh, did you get trick or treaters yet tonight? By the way, not yet. It's not quite dark yet. I put a bowl out with a little thing to make sure nobody interrupts us while we're doing this because this is the most important thing going on Halloween night. This is, and I love how our commenters are already talking about matching and giving us live play by play. You are our people. That is what we want. But we are going to get angry and analyze the first set of CFP rankings. Because this is the one where we actually learn quite a bit about how this year's committee thinks about things. You know, we always wonder how much do they weigh resume? How much do they look at the eye test, strength of schedule, all of those types of metrics. So let's go from the top down. I'll read them just in case anyone missed it as you're listening to this. Number one, Ohio State. They've got two top 15 wins over Penn State and Notre Dame. Number two, Georgia. They are obviously number one in the AP poll. Michigan checks in at number three and Florida State at number four. Just missing the cut, unbeaten Washington at number five. They have a head-to-head result over Oregon, who comes in at six, followed by Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss for the top ten. We will get into other things that jump out to us in these rankings, but the first question that I had coming into this was, where was Georgia going to be ranked? I didn't think it was going to be number one. I didn't think it would be just like the AP poll. And Chris, it wasn't. They're at number two. Ohio State, on the strength of that resume and those two good wins, is number one. Are we good with that? What do you make of that message that the CFP committee just sent? My first reaction is that uh, I was right because in my uh, 133 rankings, I had almost the exact same top six. Only thing I had, Florida State State and Michigan flipped. Other than that, not surprised Ohio State's number one, not surprised Georgia's number two. You know, that that's basically it. Not surprised Washington got left out of the top four after the last two weeks. So uh, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I would flip Michigan and Florida State right now, but, you know, this stuff will sort itself out. There, there are a number of issues I have with some of the other parts of these rankings, but in terms of the top four, I think it all makes sense. I agree. I actually feel like the top six entirely makes sense to me. I think that Oregon is better than Washington right now. And they have played better we can since get those into that. two teams met. Yeah, well, uh, let, let's do that. Let's get into that because the, the show did as well. And I think we, going into that game against Washington, felt really good about the Ducks. I believe that they are the most complete 
team in the Pac-12. And if it weren't for a couple fourth down decisions, they win that game. We talk about them as one of the favorites to win a national championship. But I think people are coming around on this. To me, though, for them to check in at number six as the top one-loss team with a potential rematch against Washington in their forecast, if both of these teams win out, they'll play for a Pac-12 championship. You've got Michigan and Ohio State. They're going to play each other. you got a team in front of you that you could avenge your only loss to. To me, that sets up perfectly for Oregon. Like To me, that is a team that controls their own destiny because if they win out, what the committee just gave them the blueprint was, if you went out, you're in. Pretty much, because one of Michigan and Ohio State will have a second loss, or have a loss, at least one. And if it's Michigan, they won't have many other wins to, to jump back on like Ohio State does. You could, you could, if you put Oregon and Washington together in a neutral field right now, I might take Oregon. Now, I think Washington should be ranked ahead, and they are ranked ahead. I went and watched, I saw that game up in Seattle, Oregon and, and Washington. Oregon was two yards away from win, winning that game. They've got a third and two, fourth and three, can't convert it. Washington comes back to miss, uh, to, to take the lead. Oregon misses a field goal. So like that game was decided by the absolute slimmest of margins. So if you're Oregon, I think you got to feel great about where you're at. Sitting number six right now, you've got a lot of big games coming up still. You've got, uh, I think USC, you've got Oregon State, you've got a potential Pac-12 championship game. So I'm with you. I think if Oregon wins out, that they are probably going to get in. Yeah, I think that's what this sets up clearly and really was what I expected coming into this. Um, I do want to play you some sound from Boo Corrigan, the committee chair, because one of the other big questions coming into these rankings was, hey, does the committee care about the scouting and science dealing investigation that Michigan is going under? An interesting wrinkle, by the way, is that Michigan's athletic director award manual is on the committee. So he leaves anytime they talk about Michigan. But we had wondered, okay, this is an off-the-field issue. This does not relate to the the team that we're seeing on the field and the way that they are winning these games. They've already got things you can ding them for if you want to go for strength of schedule, their non-conference, their schedule. The meat is ahead. But would they care about the investigation that's been going on? Boo Corrigan was asked by Reese Davis on the selection committee show about just that. What is the committee's position on that aspect as it pertains to evaluating Michigan's place in the college football playoff rankings? You know, our, our job is, as we look at it, is to rank the teams, you know, to follow our protocols. And as we went through it, that really wasn't part of any of the discussions that occurred during, the, uh, during our time together. Yeah, if it wasn't part of it, what is the directive? Because we've talked about this many times. One of the beauties of having a committee instead of a formula is that you have different perspectives. You can't control the way people think, but what is the directive to the committee members as it pertains to their personal evaluation of a team as they, uh, as they go through and wade through this sign-stealing situation? Yeah, we really view it, uh, Reese. It's an NCA issue. It's not a CFP issue. At this point in time, you know, as we're looking at this, we want to make sure that we get not only the top four teams, but the top 25 teams right. I think that that was the right decision. I kind of expected him to just say, like, we deal with the stuff that's on the field, right? I mean, and that's essentially what he said, that it wasn't a factor. Um, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense because for as interesting as this investigation and everything around it and the scandal has been, and we'll get into this later in, in this show as we get into our On the Rock segment, we will talk about Connor Stallions and the latest with Central Michigan. But I think that this was the correct decision. You know, you are not investigating this. You could react if others make determinations or findings or handle things because we do know that they are not going to rank, say, James Madison because they're ineligible for the postseason. But until you have those determinations from other governing bodies, I think this is the correct call. We did get a comment, Chris. I want you to answer this because you had the order – Similar, but also reversed a little bit in terms of your one to one thirty three. How do you think the committee necessarily handled its resume versus like strength of schedule? Where they put Georgia, where they put Michigan, and then if you look at like a Florida State and Washington, like Michigan, I feel like was a little bit inconsistent. If they are saying that resume matters, and they used a lot of head to head results throughout the top twenty five, did they treat Michigan fairly, or did they just treat them? 
similarly to a lot of us, the eye test of just like, hey, this is an incredibly dominant team on both sides of the ball, even though they haven't played anybody. Well, this is why I've had Michigan outside my top three almost all season once the games kind of got going. And, and Tom G asks, well, why do you have Michigan ahead of Washington? Um, I think it almost made complete sense. Again, I would have flipped Florida State and Michigan simply because Florida State has the better wins. And yes, they almost lost to Boston College, but Boston College is a five and three team now. It's not, it's not the same team, you know, we thought. So um, I would have flipped the two and I think everything else plays out well. As for Washington and Michigan, um, Washington has a better win, much tougher strength of schedule. But I think the last two weeks change how people feel about Washington. You escaped Arizona State, thanks in part to a questionable pass interference uh, that was not called. And you had a pick six to win that game. And then you uh, barely hang on to beat uh, was it Stanford, I think, this weekend. So two close calls against two teams that are two and six. You know, so I, I could excuse one of those. I had Washington ahead of Michigan last week, but after two straight performances like that, I bumped Washington down to five, moved Michigan up to four because Michigan hasn't struggled, hasn't come down to the end against bad teams. Uh, so again, I would have flipped Florida State in, in Michigan. I would have put Michigan at four, Florida State at three. But other than that, again, I had pretty much the same thing. Yeah, and, and again, I've been looking at Georgia and Michigan pretty similarly because of their non-conference plays and the way that they have performed and the consistency that we've seen from Michigan. But, you know, you do see some of the metrics being a little bit different and favoring Georgia. So I understand where the committee came in and putting them above the Wolverines. I do think Florida State could have had a case for two or three instead of four. But I think if you're the Seminoles, you feel good about your path, too, because, you know, I think that Florida State has the clearest path. They are the last unbeaten in the ACC. They've played their hardest games already. And if they just went out, they're for sure in. They're already in right now. The committee would have put them in at number four. So they're in a good boat and a good spot as well. Chris, let's look at the back end of the top 25, because one of the most interesting things that we track, especially you as our group of five expert, is who is in best position to get that New Year's sixth spot. This was interesting. The AP poll has Air Force as the highest ranked group of five team ahead of Tulane. And then you have Liberty also there in the mix because JMU is ineligible. This is what the committee has. They have Tulane checking in at number 24 and Air Force at number 25. Obviously, neck and neck, these teams are right there. But Chris, does this make sense to you? Do you think that this means it's Tulane's spot to lose here as we get into the stretch run of the season? I was surprised by that, honestly, just because Air Force is an undefeated team. It, it doesn't have a great strength of schedule. I think it's like 115th, but but Tulane's is like 93rd or 98th or something like that. The difference being Tulane played Ole Miss, who's in the top 10, and Air Force hasn't played anybody like that. And Tulane played that game pretty close for three plus quarters with its backup quarterback. I think Tulane is the best team in the group of five, I, I top to bottom as a team. But I have Air Force ahead of them. Because partly because they're undefeated, because they've largely been just kind of destroying all the teams that they've played. So, games still to come. Uh, Tulane still has to play UTSA and the championship game, which could be against UTSA, SMU, Memphis. So, you've got at least two, you know, tough games still on the schedule. Air Force, uh, they've got Army this week, they've got a Mountain West championship game. They could play Fresno State, uh, who only has one loss. So, both of them have an opportunity for big wins, but I think Tulane has a more opportunity. So like, I don't know. I, I always thought, Hey, if air force goes undefeated, they're going to get the spot over Tulane. These rankings make me question that, especially because of what both teams have left at this point. I kind of think if Tulane wins out, they may end up getting the spot. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting uh, subplot here for sure to see Tulane trying to get back to a New Year's Six Bowl for the second straight year. Air Force trying to be the first service academy team to do that. Okay. Before we wrap things up with our biggest takeaways, Chris, I want to hear your thoughts on where the one loss teams are. We talked about this earlier about how well Oregon has been playing, how complete that team is and the path ahead for them. They are the top one loss team coming in at number six. Then it goes Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Penn State, Missouri, and on and on and on. But there was some interesting reaction, I thought, to the fact that Texas was ahead of Alabama and then ahead of Oklahoma because Oklahoma did beat Texas. You do run into some tough 
like transitive property here with certain teams that kind of go in a triangle there. Did you have an issue with the way that those three teams were sorted? Did that feel about right to you if you were to put, you know, Texas to play Alabama on a neutral site right now or Alabama to play Oklahoma on a neutral site? Is this about how you see it? No, I, I had it differently than the committee did. My, my philosophy is always if you got two teams that are pretty much in the same boat, if they played each other, head to head wins out. So I'm surprised. Okay. I'm, I'm not totally surprised Texas was ahead of Oklahoma because of what just happened last week. I am surprised that Missouri was ahead of LSU, for example. So uh, those are two head to heads that they didn't go with. Um, ultimately, though, Texas, Oklahoma, it's going to play out. Like if they both win the rest of their games, they're going to meet in the Big 12 championship game and the winner is going to possibly get, uh, uh, will probably get in the, in the playoff. So like, it will ultimately work itself out between the two. So I'm not furious that Texas is ahead of Oklahoma. I just think philosophically, I don't like it. I would have Oklahoma ahead of Texas because Oklahoma beat Texas. What do you think? See, I see. I, I disagree because I think that you do need to separate the quality of the opponent that you lost to. And uh, if we can pull Catherine B's comment up right now, because I think I agree with her. She says, I think Oklahoma almost losing to UCF and choking to Kansas affects how I view them, at least. And I think that's totally true because the Kansas loss, although Kansas is ranked, they did check in in the top 25 this week. That's different to me than losing to a team that is in that top 10, in that upper tier, upper yep. echelon of teams that we're talking about. Texas nearly lost yes. to Houston. <laughs> like okay, two, two weeks ago, I mean, we just saw that. Listen, it was the same thing. Listen, they were literally inches Chris, away from getting close yes, to tying the game. Chris, Chris, I agree on all of these fronts. I think the Big 12 is going to be the league that is not going to make the playoff for, for both of these reasons. But I think that that is something that you can factor into. Just because you're one loss and the other team is one loss does not mean you have to be considered in the same exact band of teams. And I think that that is a fair take to have. You're going to run into issues if you try to have the entire thing go head to head. And we've seen this committee, not this year's committee, but in past committees, the one I always think back to is Michigan and Michigan State, where Michigan lost to Michigan State, that Kenneth Walker team, they, Michigan State was ahead of them for a couple of weeks. And then the committee said, you know what? No, we just kind of think that that result was a fluke. We are going to reverse this. Michigan is the better team. They are willing to do that. So again, they're going to be inconsistent on some of these principles. They're going to they're going to value resume in some places. They're going to value head-to-head -head in other places. And then other times they're just going to say, hey, I think that this is the better team. And you're going to run into that. So um, Chris, before we, we give our winners and losers, I want to get what? just overall... Real, real quick, real Go quick, ahead. before that, let yeah. me jump on the thing you just said. The Michigan, Michigan State thing to me very much feels like Washington, Oregon right now. Yes, 100%. Or Washington it's in going style, to be. but they, but they, but they didn't flip it. They have Washington ahead of Oregon now. Plus, I think the twenty twenty one. Plus, I think the twenty twenty one committee might have changed their mind if they knew that Michigan may have been stealing signs during that game. So credit to Kenneth Walker, okay. who should who should have been in the Heisman Trophy ceremony for that year, considering what he was going up against. It from what we know at hey, this Chris, point. Chris, that, Chris, where did you go to college again? I went to Michigan State, but that has nothing okay, to do with it. To, that has nothing to do to with what that on, was. I think in, everybody can agree here. with that. I just wanted to get that in on the record. Um, but the one thing I wanted to say about that is I think they are setting the table to do that. I think they are setting the table yeah. for if Washington continues to struggle, but eke out wins, that they will say that Oregon was basically even in that game and is a team that is playing better, that they trust more or believe is a more complete team. And I think that they will get there. I've been setting the stage for that in my top 10. I said, I will do it if we continue with a few more weeks of this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, one last question, Chris. Is Ohio State the best team in the country? No, I don't think so. Nobody on the ESPN committee seemed to think so. I don't think anybody in the country thinks so. But they've accomplished the most at this point. They've won on the road at Notre Dame. They've won on the road at Wisconsin. And they beat Penn State at home in a game that was not as close as the score. So to me, it was not. It was it was an easy number one. That doesn't mean I think they're the best team. If you were again. Two weeks ago or so, we, we we put in our CFP picks. I had Michigan in. I think right now, if I was going to pick, I'd pick Michigan to beat Ohio State. But yeah. that's why these rankings are growing and evolving. This is not the final thing. These things usually play themselves out. There are very few situations. We've been doing this for 10 years. There are very few situations where the team at number five felt like they got screwed and should have been in. It almost always is a clean four. And sometimes it's not even four. So... Ohio State, Ohio State number one, it's fine. Mississippi State was the first ever number one in these rankings. They worked themselves out, so I wouldn't get too upset about any of this, but we're just here to kind of talk about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Ohio State is the best team in the country, but I do appreciate when the committee does this and they make the resume matter because coming into this ranking every single year, we are going off the AP poll which is going off of who people thought was going to be the best in the preseason. And a lot of times you don't see them drop or really drastically move around these teams until people lose. And I think that this is always a a helpful stage and a process where then the AP voters start thinking a little bit differently or reflecting the CFP rankings because they realize, okay, well, just because Georgia was one in the preseason and they haven't lost doesn't mean that we have to keep them there. And this gets people thinking about the quality of the wins, who you played, who you're shaky against, and that is always a good thing to me. So I am totally fine with Ohio State being there in terms of resume, even though I don't think that they're the best team. And I also would pick Michigan to beat them if they were playing tomorrow. It is helpful when you have two great teams in the same conference who you know are going to play each other because then ultimately this stuff doesn't really matter. And you know that as the Pac-12 teams, you know that as Florida State, you know that as the teams behind them in the ranking. So before we wrap up the top of our power hour episode, which I guess is a power five, even though we've had like a million different questions and, you know, we're very loose with that term anyway. Uh, We're going to talk about winners and losers. So Chris, I will let you go first. Winners and losers from the first CFP ranking. Oh, are we picking one of each? Yeah. Give me, yeah. Give me one of each. Okay. Winner Tulane for uh, what we have said here, which is they are the top ranked group of five team ahead of an undefeated air force. And they've still got at least two quality games coming up. So I think the path is there for Tulane to get the group of five New Year's six spot for the second year in a row uh, if they win out. But I think Tulane's in a great spot from where they are in these first rankings. They are my winner, my loser, Washington, who I think has a case to be in the top four. Uh, to not to have a win over Oregon and not be in the top four right now is a tough spot. And like we said, I think Oregon, they are positioning Oregon to potentially jump Washington, despite the head-to-head, if Washington struggles like it has the last two weeks. So I think Washington is a loser right now. Not to say they can't make the playoff win out. The road's there in front of them. But in terms of where you are in the rankings right now, for Washington to be what they are and outside the top four is a tough break. That's why Oregon is one of my big winners. I thought that they should be the top one-loss team and they are the top-ranked one-loss team. And to me, that means you control your own destiny because the committee is already showing that they don't have a ton of respect for Washington because anyone with a win as high as – the best win in the country, actually, because Ohio State's two wins are ranked below. FSU has that good win over LSU. Those are all teams ranked below the top 10. So for them to have the best win in the country and be unbeaten and be outside the top four means that – Oregon is thought of very highly. They're using the head-to-head as the barrier right now. But if you're a Duck fan, you got to feel great about these first rankings. Your path is clear. You win out, you're in. And you're going to have a chance probably, hopefully, 
to avenge that only loss. I hope that is the rematch we get in the Pac-12 championship games. The loser is Washington, and I'll say that that they are the number one loser, but to just throw something else out there, how about Florida State? I think that they've got a case to be higher than where they are. They've got a case to be number two ahead of Georgia and Michigan who haven't played anybody. They've got that really good win over LSU. The win at Clemson, it is depreciating in value, right? Because Clemson keeps losing. But if you have people in the committee room who understand what that game was and how well Clemson played, that was the best game they played all season, you should get a little bit more credit for that. And you've also just played, okay, fine, make a face, Chris, make a face. But my point is, you also just have a win that's better than anything Georgia and Michigan have right now. You have the committee twisting themselves in knots to say Michigan's got all these wins over teams better than 500. Their well, best a, win is a team Mi- like LSU. Michigan's best win is Rutgers. It's Rutgers or Minnesota or Nebraska. Who are we kidding here? Come on. I know you love Rutgers, and but like their I best win Rutgers, is nowhere, but- cl- nowhere close to anybody in the top six. That's why I had Michigan outside the top six for a while. Michigan fans were upset. They haven't beat anybody. Florida State has. And again, so that's why, you know, again, not that Florida State isn't a true loser because they've got the easiest path here. You went out, you're in, your toughest yeah. games are behind you. But you have been disrespected a little bit. You could have been as high as two. You certainly could have been three in these rankings. Uh, but otherwise, really interesting. Bowl eligible Rutgers. Thank you, Daniel. Can we get that up on the chat, please? Thank you. All right. They do deserve some respect. They've got a really tough final stretch of the season, so we need to celebrate Rutgers while we can. Definitely always thought that we were going to talk about the Scarlet Knights during a CFP reaction show. But that's what you get when Power Hour is doing these live shows which we will do every Tuesday night coming off of the CFP rankings. By the way, hang tight if you're listening to this on the audio feed because we're about to get into the rest of the news of the day here in Power Hour. Appreciate you listening and watching with us live, and we will see you again next Tuesday night on the Until Saturday YouTube page. For Chris Manini, I mean Batman. I'm Nicole Auerbach. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, welcome back. We are going to go to our open bar segment. This is the part of the show where we take your questions and we answer them. So as a reminder, every Monday, Tuesday, you can go find a link on theathletic.com for a mailbag call. And uh, we'll take the questions that we want to answer each week. And this is the floor. So let's start with some a really interesting question, very timely question coming to us about Dabo. Now, we all saw and heard the rant on Monday night from Dabo, but in case you missed it, I actually would recommend go and listen to, like, the three-minute question and the, like, five-minute answer. Um, but here is the clip that we wanted you to hear before we dive into it. You make $11.5 million a year. Um, that's second in college football, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm curious... Uh, why that salary has led to a four and four as we were eleven years last year. And you're part of the problem. There's people like you that do that all you do is the appreciation, the expectation is greater than the appreciation. And that's the problem. We've won twelve ten plus win seasons in a row. That's happened three times in hundred and fifty years. So if you want to know why, put the national championship for thirty five years. We've won two in seven years. And there's only two other teams that can say that. Georgia and Alabama. We've won so much. Now, even when you win, people like you complain. I started as the lowest paid coach in this freaking business. Right? And I'm where I am because I've worked my ass off every single day. And I ain't got to let some smart-ass kid get on the phone and create this stuff. All right, so here is our question. It is from Rodrigo A. What do you guys think of Dabo's brand? It seems like things are unraveling quite quickly. Can he put Clemson back on track? Chris, I'm going to let you start, but but first I want to just at least point out that we've had some great coaching rants this year. Like There have been some really entertaining ones. I don't know why everyone is wound so tight this season. I think in individual circumstances we could dive into that, but we've had coaches tee off on – 80-year-old men. We've had them tee off on Tyler from Spartanburg. We've had a lot of different rants this season. So let's talk about Dabo's. It's not a great season, okay? Like, they're already at four losses. That's the most they've had since the 2011 season. A lot of frustration. And this is now two weeks of Dabo basically saying, you guys aren't grateful. 
for all the success that we've had and you're not giving us a grace period for being down a little bit. Yeah, the most interesting, insightful part that the that Dabo said there was people used to ask me basically what's different about Clemson. I'd say at Clemson there wasn't an expectation, there was an appreciation. And that now it's become an expectation. And it's important, by the way, to listen to that whole thing. The, the question is just as important as the answer. It was a very long question, rambling a bit. I'm kind of surprised they didn't cut him off. But it also got kind of personal. Like when you're quoting scripture to, to Dabo Sweeney in trying to say he's overpaid, like he's going to take that personally. And I kind of don't blame him for that. Um, nothing he said was wrong. Like he did. He has taken Clemson to places it's never been before. And yes, I agree. Coaches should be allowed to have a down season. But at the same time, going back to the premise of the question, you're now paid 10 to $11 million. Like the expectations change with that. You're, 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 you've gotten everything you've wanted. You've gotten the new facilities. You've got the highly paid assistant coaches, your own salary. If Clemson had followed up those championships without investing, without doing these things, you know, then he could say, Hey, you know, we've, we've, we're still competing in different things, but when you're making 10 to $11 million, it's never a good thing to say to a fan, Hey, why don't you coach the team? Um, so I, I don't think it's a great look, but it's also hundred percent dabble. Like that's just, that's who he is. It's not fake as much as people get annoyed by it. So I respect him for being honest about it. I will say that. I thought it was incredibly insightful. It was very honest. It got more and more heated as he went on, but he does want Clemson to still be treated like little old Clemson. Like he does want people to still think of him as an underdog who is succeeding in college football against all odds. And he's just not that anymore. You've won too much. You're, you're too successful. And I think when you are not at the top, a lot of this comes across as making excuses or whining about people complaining about you not being at the top anymore. But all of this just comes to the same endpoint, which is that Dabo seems unwilling to adapt to where college football is today. The way that he ran his program when they were making it to CFPs every year, winning national championships, he wants to still do it that way. And he doesn't want to acknowledge that he's had staff turnover and some misses and that other people use the portal and embrace NIL more and are more where the sport is in 2023. And he just wants to kind of be living seven years ago still in, in all of these areas, right? Even in the way that his program is viewed as an underdog, as little Clemson. And it's just not where they are anymore. And so I think that's the tension that he is personally dealing with right now. Right. And, and Clemson fans, are they're not just upset about being four and four. They're upset about the issues that they're having or the things that people talked yeah. about three to four years ago that were coming and that he seemingly didn't adapt to, that this might have been, I don't know if preventable is the word, but that he brushed the concerns off and now the result is a four and four season. They're going to be upset about it. And, and, and like, and by the way, you know, when Jeremy Pruitt is at Tennessee, other other coaches, like they get a lot worse questions, you know, that, than, than Dabo got there. You know, people telling Jeremy Pruitt to go back to Alabama and all kinds of stuff. Like this is big time football. Like this is, these are the expectations. Now. You, you brought Clemson to this point. This doesn't take away from what he accomplished. It's just like, look, are we keeping up with the Joneses? Because this is the standard that you set. It's a compliment to Dabo that fans are upset that he's not living up to the expectations he created. But that's the world. And that's what happens, again, when you're making 10 or $11 million. Right. People are going to be less patient. And also, this is kind of that that just fundamental question of, is it harder to get to the mountaintop or is it harder to stay there? And a lot of coaches will tell you it's harder to stay there. It's harder to repeat. It's harder to get back there once you break through. And that's the expectation that people have had for Clemson. They didn't think this was a flash in the pan. They thought that this is something that could survive different quarterbacks, different players, different coordinators. And, you know, that's that's why there's such a microscope on this program uh, as well. We will get into uh, that. We actually almost did that for our On the Rock segment because there is some tension there. There is more tension still in the state of Michigan. So we will get out there shortly. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to another open bar question. Um, Chris, you and I have written about this. We've talked a lot about technology and you in particular, helmet technology, but also wristbands and just sort of like where college football could be going. It's one of the offshoots of the conversations around Michigan's uh, scouting and sign stealing investigation. So here's a question from Stephen S. Crowd noise is still a huge competitive advantage for home teams like Penn State, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, et cetera. In implementing radio helmet communication, will this technology be available to all players, especially offensive linemen, to hear snap counts and change plays at the line of scrimmage? Why hasn't this technology already been implemented years ago at the Power 5 level? So those are two different questions. Um, let's start with why hasn't there been helmet communication or you know, electronic wristband communication? So you're our expert on that. So Chris, I want you to answer this. It's a mix of things. Uh, part of it for a long time was cost. I mean, I mean, this is very expensive and I'll get into that in a second. I mean, but, but the NFL's had this since 1994. So it's not like it's a new technology, so to speak. But the biggest hurdle, despite what Nick Saban says, is the helmet liability and the warranties. If you put a third party device in the helmet, these helmet companies would argue, we are not liable for anything. So if somebody gets sued over head injuries, we are not liable for that. And so everybody's worried about somebody getting sued. Now, why can the NFL and some of these other places do this? Well, the NFL does its own testing. It has a players association, a CBA. Uh, so they're a lot more involved in that than we have in college football. So the way it is right now in college football is uh, you can ask for a waiver to do it, but everybody's worried about if somebody gets sued, who's liable. That remains the biggest hurdle. I talked to the headset companies over the past week. It's what they told me last year. It, it, it remains the same thing. Uh, it's also why wristband wearable technology is also a possibility of something that could come up because you don't have the liability. You don't worry about somebody getting sued over that. So that's why it hasn't happened yet. In terms of could every player have this home home environments, whatever. No, nope. nope. No, it, 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 that's not going to happen. Um, the NFL doesn't have that. The NFL has it in one quarterback, one defensive player. Very simple. I will say, though, the wristband wearable technology, that is possible. I talked to some of them over the last week as well. That That is a lot cheaper to give out, and you could have maybe all of your players or all of your skilled players wear it. You, you type it in, the play comes up on their wristband, and it, it's very simple. So that is on the table. Those things are still being determined. It will be able to be used for bowl games, um, still being determined what the rules are. Do both teams have to do it? Can Does it have to be the same thing? That's still being worked out. But it is possible you could see more than a single player wearing the wristband. The helmet, no, in part because one set of those costs like $40,000, and that's not going to happen. Yeah, and that's also not what the NFL does, right? So if you're thinking about you know copying other areas of football, like part of the reason that coaches that keep bringing this up is there's more technology allowed on a high school sideline than there is in college. And so if you're looking at what other people are doing and what works, um, you're probably going to look at what's similar with the NFL and, and also like that, that, that turns off the 15 seconds to, to go. So, you know, you get your play and it's one way communication, um, but then it's up to you again. And so, you know, again, how does this work with no huddle teams in those environments? Like those are challenges that would come about from this, but like, I'm a proponent of this. I, I don't, I think it would, take out the sign stealing element and all the craziness that happens on the sidelines um, and just be simpler and prepare quarterbacks as well for the NFL because that's what we're we'll going with. So I, I think I hope to see uh, teams experimenting with that this postseason and hopefully we'll, we know, start to get some data 
about it and how it works. Um, okay, here is another open bar question. This one is also from Rodrigo A. Um, too good not to to answer. Uh, news of the week, topic of the week. With Brian Ferentz leaving after the season and assuming his dad hires someone competent, um, if they build an offense that is in the 40 to 50 range in the FBS, what should expectations be for Iowa in a post-Big Ten West world? So essentially... This question, I'll, I'll start here, is about, well, what happens if Iowa actually does have a good offense, a pretty good offense? So we're all walking into this world next year where you have a 12-team playoff and a number of conferences are not going to have divisions. You also have all of these new members into these conferences too. So I think this was part of the reason that Iowa had to do what it did this week over the objections of Kirk Ferentz and obviously Brian Ferentz as well. because. You can have an offense that is among the worst in the country and still have a chance to win the Big Ten West, and that's kind of a crutch because everyone else in all of college football needs to be able to move the ball better. You need to be able to score. You need to be able to score quickly. And you can't just waste an elite defense and elite special teams year in and year out. But if you look at all these numbers, like all of the Big Ten West teams are among the worst and like the slowest in the country this year. So it works because that's who you're competing against. You're adding in much more explosive offenses and different offenses by adding these West Coast teams. You're getting rid of divisions, so you're going to have a lot more exposure to teams like Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin thought about this last year when they decided not to go with Jim Leonard, and they decided to say, okay, we don't want to be the Wisconsin that we've always been. We need to aim a little bit higher. And he brings in a totally different offensive system that Wisconsin is not at all like because you're going to bring in Phil Longo, have an air raid. And again, it doesn't quite look like that this year. They've had a ton of injuries, but also personnel that were built for, you know, a run the ball first offense, but they're aiming higher. They're thinking, Hey, there's going to be all of these at large spots in the college football playoff. The big 10 should be well positioned. We want to compete for those. So we are not just going to compete against the teams that we were grouped in with in the big 10 West. We're going to compete with everybody. And so I think that's exactly what Iowa needs to do because you're going to need to be able to score faster, more reliably. You're going to need to attract talent and just want people to want to come there and to play in your system and just be more creative, excite the fan base, all of those different things. So I think that expectations for anyone in the Big Ten that's not Michigan or Ohio State is going to be those playoff at large spots. Like those are up for grabs every single year and the schedule should be challenging enough to get there. There should be enough opportunities to win or make up for losses. So that's the kind of team you want. And if you're going to have one of the best defenses and special teams units in the country, then a offense that ranks in the 40s should absolutely put you in the mix where you're talking about, I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Like two or three losses will be those, t- those at large teams that'll be in the mix. Like that's what you should be shooting for, for anyone who is not like a Michigan, Ohio state, that's going to be in the big 10 championship game. Most years, there's a lot of space now, and that's where Iowa needs to be. Yeah, look, I mean, Iowa's not going to come in here with the air raid and completely change what it's doing and try to score 40 points a game. They are going to continue to play what they call complementary football. If you're really good on defense and you're really good on special teams, just be good enough on offense. Could that be top 50, top 75 even? You know, Iowa could be that. Because remember, this team's six and two. They generally win six, seven, eight, nine games a year. Uh, despite having this terrible offense. So like things aren't totally broken there. You you just need someone to to be above average, just be average essentially uh, on that side. And then in terms of the expectations, it's make the playoff. And if we go to a five plus seven and you have seven at large spots, you figure three of those maybe to the SEC, three of those to the Big Ten potentially. So if you're, you, you, you want to finish in the top four of the Big Ten, that is the goal. I think that's what Iowa can and will be shooting for. I think winning, maybe competing, reaching the Big Ten Championship, you know, maybe every five years or something is reasonable. That'll be the case for most of those current Big Ten teams, your Michigan States, your Purdue's, your Iowa's, um, teams like that. So, yeah, I, I think Iowa can make the playoff. They're not that far off now, but I just don't 
Don't come in expecting Iowa to make some big changes on offense. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. You just need somebody who's a little bit better at it. And Kirk is going to make the hire on this one, remember, because Brian Ferentz, his supervisor was technically the AD. So Kirk Ferentz is going to have total control over this one now. True. I would say that they should probably try to be more than just a little bit better, though. That would open up a world of possibilities um, and not be, you know, again, like, I was just going to say, like, a a national laughing stock. I mean, the the problem, there's a lot of problems with everything that's been happening. But one of the big ones was Gary Barta putting in that clause, because not only were people tracking just how bad the offense was, like, it became a punchline for a lot of people. And so you need to move away from that as much as possible, just not marginally better, but like, like, like our question asker said, like a competent offense, an offense that works. Look, we've seen this team reach the Orange Bowl re- twice, reach the Rose Bowl in 2015. Like, it's not like this program is down in the dumps. It's a still a very good program. You just need to be better than what you are on offense. They've been a top 25 team for the last five years. So like, it's not going to take that much, I don't think, for Iowa to be competitive again. And I think if you're Iowa, you have a chance now to win the Big Ten West and you know an offensive coordinator change is coming. That's the best of every single world here. Like, I'd be fired up if I'm Iowa here. It's like, it's so rare that you fire a coach like that when you're like still in a pretty good spot. And and that's why I think Mm -hmm. Iowa fans should be very excited about where things are right now. Yeah, it's a little weird, obviously, for him to finish out the rest of the season, but this was an unprecedented situation and it still allows you to get a jump on the search and signal to everyone that you're making a change ahead of the portal opening, which is obviously important. Um, Speaking of of fan bases that I think are fired up or, or at least trending in that direction, let's move over into our happy hour because we wanted to talk about some teams that are figuring it out like we sometimes write teams off so fast in these seasons and you know as soon as they're out of the playoff mix or if you lose two games early it kind of just that that's how you think about a certain team and it's it's really hard to shake it but there are a lot of teams that have gotten better as the season went on some of it's a quarterback change or or something that sparked it um but I'm gonna list off some of the teams Chris that I know you wanted to talk about but Arizona is a great example Noah Fafita really good, really fun to watch, really enjoy um, Arizona. They've been a really tough out for Pac-12 opponents this season. Virginia Tech, another one where, you know, you you change the quarterback and it's like, well, this this probably should have been the quarterback from the beginning. And that's really given them some life as well. Oklahoma State, Nebraska, who I think is going to go bowling, Boston College, Troy. Uh, There's just a lot of teams that we kind of forget about and then realize that they actually got quite a bit better as the season went on. These are the teams that I love. These are the teams that when I fill out the 133 every week, I realize, hey, they won three in a row now. I need to be moving them up more and more than I have. And Arizona fans were really on me early in the season because I had them quite low. Uh, but once they played USC close over time, string together some wins, they have shot up. They're just outside my top 25 now. Virginia Tech, by the way, they are playing Louisville this weekend for second place in the ACC This is a a Virginia Tech team that lost to Marshall earlier this year, and I don't think people have realized there's no divisions in the ACC. Virginia Tech has a chance to take control of second place this weekend. Very cool turnaround they have had. Oklahoma State, Ollie Gordon II, he is putting up Heisman Trophy numbers right now if you take out the first, I think, three games when he barely played. I had him second on my Heisman ballot this week. He is putting up ridiculous ridiculous types of numbers, stuff that Barry hasn't been done there since Barry Sanders. So keep an eye on Oklahoma State. They've got Oklahoma this weekend in the last game of Bedlam. Nebraska, as you mentioned, they're about to go to a bowl game in Matt Rule's first season. Scott Frost never did that. Like, you know, like Nebraska was ugly early on. You lose to Minnesota, you lose to Colorado. I think a lot of people forgot about them. They have figured things out and that defense is legit and they are probably going to a bowl game. So get ready for that. I just love these teams that get better as the season goes on. That's what we love about this sport. It, it's the teams that you, you you brush to the side. They kept fighting. They kept getting better. Uh, props to everybody on all those teams. Been very fun. And it makes for some exciting conference races, as we said, because Nebraska's, I think, in the Big Ten West race still as well. So very fun stuff. Everyone is still alive in the Big Ten West race, first of all. But um, also one, one ad will be Northwestern. Four wins. Did not yes. see that coming. 
from a roster that won one last year, had so much turmoil right before the start of the season. David Braun, heck of a job. Like, I, I really did not know that this team was going to win more than one game all year. They've been winning with backup quarterback. Uh, it's just they, they got a couple dudes at receiver. Like, they deserve some credit, too. Um, but, yes, shout out to the teams that have gotten better, have used the season to improve, and maybe people haven't realized yet. Uh, we are watching. We are paying attention to you. Uh, speaking of watching and paying attention to other people, uh, time to talk about Connor Stallions because, well, I mean, we can't really go more than like six hours without thinking about the guy. Uh, so here is the latest um, as we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. You and I wrote our story about this, but uh, let's let's backtrack. Okay, so Monday night, some images start circulating of a man that looks like could be Connor Stallions in Central Michigan gear on the CMU sideline during their game against Michigan State. So let's back up again. That game was played on a Friday night at Spartan Stadium. Michigan season opener was the next day, and Connor Stallions was there. So most Saturdays is going to be at the Michigan game, but this was a Friday night game. And you, you, Chris, you specifically went back to YouTube TV and watched the game and looked for him and all the sideline shots. And there were a couple others where we saw this guy who looks an awful lot like Connor Stallions in the shot. CMU put out a statement, which we got a copy of during the day on Tuesday, quote, we became aware of these photos late yesterday, and we are in the process of determining the facts around them, CMU Athletic Director Amy Fullen said in a statement. As this process is ongoing, we have no further comment at this time. So apologies if anyone's listening this well into the future when this has already been solved. <laughs> yes. yeah. But... As we sit here and CMU puts out a statement saying they're looking into it and they don't immediately just say, oh, yeah, that's Joe. He's our offensive analyst. That raises some questions and makes me think that this really could be Connor Stallions. He's wearing sunglasses during a night game. He's wearing a visitor bench badge or paper credential thing that's over his neck. All the other coaches have them attached to their pants. And he's kind of just in the background lurking in a lot of shots. Like the body language is very interesting. So here is the latest chapter. Connor Stallions, who was buying tickets to games at opposing stadiums in his own name, is now possibly himself trying to disguise himself as a member of the CMU coaching staff while they are playing a future Michigan opponent. For the record, I'm, I'm about 50-50 on whether this is him. Some angles it really does. Some angles it doesn't. And what's most notable to, to me, like he wasn't just standing there. He's standing there with a clipboard or a big sheet is what it was. It was very funny to go back and, and look at all this stuff. So did Connor Stallions show up to Central Michigan, Michigan State and disguise himself with the Central Michigan coaching staff? There are several CMU staffers who used to work at Michigan when Connor Stallions was a volunteer there. There are connections to all of this. Um, where he got the coaching gear, I don't know. I looked in the CMU bookstore. I looked on uh, Fanatics and some of these other sites. I couldn't find the Adidas coach-issued gear. So you'd have to put in a lot of work to go find it yourself. Um, and yeah, he's just mostly hanging out on the side with, uh, I think, their director of recruiting, whoever this person is, and largely staying out of it, but sometimes watching. I don't know what was on the, the clipboard. I don't know what was going on, all this other stuff. I was sent some photos of him, some other photos of him on the sideline that were not in the broadcast. And man, this is the funniest scandal in sports that I can ever remember. Every detail is more crazy than the last. I don't know if Jim Harbaugh knew. I don't know how many Michigan coaches knew or didn't knew about whatever Connor Stallions was doing. But the fact that we've gotten to this point right away and the fact that Central Michigan couldn't just say, oh, yeah, that's Joe Schmo. He's just a guy on our staff is fascinating. So, again, this may have been debunked by the time you listen to this, but every couple of days there's a wackier bit to the story and I cannot get enough of it. This is incredibly funny. I don't know what the penalties to Michigan are going to be. This thing continues to unfold uh, as, as the world turns. Our pal, Lindsay Jones from The Ringer, uh, had a great line where like, she doesn't wish something were true as much as since we thought Matt Canada had all these burner accounts on, uh, on Twitter. So it's like, these are 
what's so interesting about this one, and I'm with you on just the entertainment level, is this is a scandal where like nobody was hurt, right? Like we've had some really bad stuff happen in college sports that we've covered and investigations into. But like the idea of sign stealing and then going over the line, because the sign stealing part's legal, but it's how you're doing it and and possibly disguising yourself to go to a game and stand on the sidelines. Like that's the stuff that is what feeds our obsession with this sport. Like this is why people get on message boards. Like this is why people love and are paranoid and have all sorts of crazy conspiracy theories about people's fandom, where they grew up, who they knew, is the ref from the same state as the head coach? Like all these crazy things are because like college football fans are crazy and we like the absurd. And this is a pretty absurd scandal so far, right? And to your point, like there will be time where we eventually see what type of penalties come for these types of actions or learn more about who knew what when or who paid for what. Or I still want to know who paid for the outside law firm and the investigation that they brought the information to the NCAA. Like there's still so many unanswered questions, but the fact that you have someone named Connor Stallions at the middle, also that it's Halloween week, because I think I've seen a lot of photos of Connor Stallions. Like it's really captured like the sports audience in a way that's a really accessible way for a scandal. And all of these chapters about someone who was purchasing tickets in their own name, paying in their own credit card, maybe even going so far as to going to an opposing stadium themselves. It just adds intrigue. And it's it's just like, it's a made for Netflix documentary that we are watching play out in real time. And you don't always get that. And like, that's what feels so entertaining and pretty hilarious about this one. Here, here's the thing. Is this worth the risk? Because I think if the whole no, recording no, the no, side, no, no, you're no. recording the whole sideline and all that kind of stuff, that seems more valuable than just standing on the sideline. Like again, he's got a clipboard. Yes. I don't know if he's writing yes. everything down. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he doesn't have his thing. So I don't know why this person was there if it was him. But of all, like buying tickets in your name is ridiculous uh, on one level. Going to a game to be on the other sideline is a whole other level of wildness of this if it's true we don't know that this is true but the fact that we don't know yet that it's not true is pretty crazy considering this sport like what what do you like what would you get by standing was it just get the vibes or or, or is it looking at players i don't know what do you think you would get from this that this was one of our first thoughts when these photos started to go around and you started watching the game is like, this seems like a pretty worthless spot to be in for the thing that he was supposed to be doing. Right. Like you're better off again with his alleged scheme of putting someone near the 50 yard line shooting and and taking a video of the sidelines and the signals themselves. I, I, it feels like it's, there's no point except to prove that you could do it. Like, I, I don't know why you would do something like this um, and go through all of the the hoops of potentially, you know, again, dressing like a coach and doing all these things. Because again, like to date, the, the examples that we have of not really a precedent on this, but like Jeff Levy, right. And like some of the yeah. examples, they were accidents, right. Or they were, they, yes. they were like, obviously like they were wearing gear because it was like a family member or, they weren't wearing anything because they weren't trying to get an advantage and to like be sneaky somehow. So I don't know, you know, what that goal would be and what you could see at a uh, field level. But again, like this is this scandal. It's like every six hours, something new and something crazy happens. Um, and so again, we apologize if this has been debunked, but it's been an entertaining like 24 hours <laughs> living in this yeah. world where this possibility exists. The, the Jeff Lebby situation, for people who don't know, a number of years ago when he was at Baylor, he was in Norman, Oklahoma for a wedding uh, at, at the time. And Tulsa plays Oklahoma that wedding. Tulsa's offense, uh, head coach, Philip Montgomery, former Baylor offensive coordinator. So Jeff Lebby goes to the game and hangs out on the sideline. He's wearing a big, bright blue shirt, Tulsa hat, no sunglasses. Like, you can tell it's Jeff Lebby. He ended up getting suspended, I think, for a half by the NCAA for doing it. So. Coaches know you're not supposed to do this. Coaches know you can't let someone yeah. from another coaching staff spend time on your sideline, or at least you should know because this has come up before. So that's why I remain 
fascinated in every single detail of this. If it was Connor Stallions, I don't know where you get that outfit from, if not from the coaches, because it's very difficult to find. But again, this is a guy who apparently had a 600-page manifesto and may or may not have joined the military for the purpose of becoming a Michigan football coach. So we're talking out their territory, and we will see, I guess, uh, what the final result of this investigation is into who this goateed sunglasses person was on the Michigan, uh, on the Central Michigan sideline at Michigan State. Yeah, and perhaps obtaining CMU gear was page 14 of that manifesto. We we, we don't know right now, but um, hopefully we will know at some point. All right, we got to wrap things up. Uh, as we always do with the last call, it's a cheers or a jeers. It's a rant or a rave. It's really whatever we would want to be doing as the bar is closing. We got one more drink. Got to get one last thing off of our chest. I'll go first. I like both of ours because I, I already looked in the doc and I know where you're going to say, Chris. So like both of our last calls are going towards very specific college football things. Like these are parts of the things and the reasons that we enjoy the sport that a lot of fans do and that people can't quit it very easily. Mine is to coaches radio shows. This doesn't happen in professional sports and professional settings. Like, yes, maybe you have a weekly call in to a local radio station and you do a weekly interview, but the idea that you are going to like a local watering hole um, or, you know, you're, you're, I, I mean, usually these are all in person. I was even thinking like during COVID you're calling into something, but that like basically anybody can just call and ask you a question. And yes, theoretically you would be screening them or you could hang up on people, but there's really no barrier here. These are just fans. Like we've seen and heard some great Nick Saban rants, right. To questions about, you know, why did you run this play on a third and five? And like, that direct access from crazy fan, which fan is short for fanatic. So yes, these are crazy people to the head coach. And the fact that Tyler from Spartanburg had direct access to ask Dabo Sweeney a question that was yes, very personal, kind of mean, went on really long, wasn't asked well, but captured a sentiment that a lot of the fans do have about like, why are we so down this year? Did we fall off or is this the end? And it gets an epic Dabo rant. The access, the point, the reason that we had that is because of a coach's radio show that these coaches put themselves in situations where they can be berated directly by fans. It is incredible. I applaud every single coach that still has a radio show, still takes fan questions because this is so unique and it's so weird. And this thing is, you know, a billion dollar industry and it's, it's so business-like in so many places, but Tyler from Spartanburg gets to yell at Dabo Swinney directly. And that is one of the things I cherish about college football. Look, Bill Belichick, Pat Riley, they're not getting on the radio to get yelled at by fans. It's, it's one of the things we love about college football. Every week, Nick Saban gets a question from a peewee down there in his show. And earlier the season, peewee was not, uh, not happy. And, and Nick Saban was like right there with them. So it's, it's very fun. By the way, in the time that we were doing this podcast, uh, Tigers Illustrated, the Clemson rival site, tracked down Tyler from Spartanburg. And we have a response from Tyler. Here's what he told TigersIllustrated.com. Quote, my girlfriend has been all over me for this today, <laughs> but I agree with her. Tact is not one of my strong suits, especially when I'm upset. But as I listened to Dabo last night, and I sat through his spiel about how we'd be 8-0 without the turnovers and if, 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 it upset me. I want to be clear. I'm not blaming Dabo for all the way I handled it. I'm just explaining what happened. If I had to do it over again, I'd have been way more respectful. So, Ty, uh, okay, that's, I, I love it. That's a good response. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's not somebody tracked him down. And that, I think, is the right, with, with, the, with the day to, to sleep on it and think about it, very reasonable take, Tyler. Yes. So I, I'm sure we'll see a college game day feature with the two of them being friends like by the end of the season, <laughs> probably with the way things go. Um, my last call is for message board fans. Now, I have issues with certain things that, that go on in terms of coaching searches and rumors and all that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, they, they find things. And that has been the case with some of this Connor Stallion stuff. They are the people who have tracked down a number of these photos and images and videos and, and different things. The uh, Connor Stallions photo 
uh, or potential Connor Stallions photo on the sideline at Michigan State was, I believe, started on an on three Michigan board, I think. So so there's this thing in, in, in it's kind of used in journalism. It's called open source intelligence. OSNIT, O-S-N-I-T, you're hearing a lot about this with regards to the war over around Israel right now, which is using other forms of tracking down information and investigating things. College football has always had this. College football has always had this through message boards, fans, whether they're staking out airports or going through game film or finding other things out. Every once in a while, they will find something. And it appears that's what how this latest potential Connor Stallions thing started. So I salute you crazy college football fans who are on the message boards uh, would not be the same sport without you. They once got uh, Houston nut fired at Arkansas back in the day when uh, did some FOIA requests. So there's nothing like it in, in, in sports. And I love it. Cheers to you. Basically cheers to you, the fans. You guys make this stuff a lot more entertaining and you guys are definitely having a moment this week. So thank you. And thank all of our listeners for tuning in to power hour. As a reminder, we will be live every Tuesday night with the CFP rankings and the rest of the show as well. But be sure that you're following the Until Saturday podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes are up. And we always appreciate a five-star rating and review. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel and join us every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on our live streams. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter if you prefer this all in the written word. And uh, for Chris Manini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. We'll see you next time.